my hunting bow set up, typically try to be optimally to a little bit over stiff, line size over stiff maybe. And even just being a little bit on the high side of, of optimal, I see like a half inch vertical bend or flex of the arrow when it's leaving the, the bow. It's pretty much straight, you know, six feet down the down it's pretty much straight. I think that's ideal for a hunting arrow when you got a broadhead you're trying to drive through. You don't want that bending back and forth. To me though, there's not really a difference between offset and helical if I think about the geometry. If you offset a line, say running down a cylinder, if you offset that and wrap it around the cylinder, mm -hmm. you know, that's a helix. And to me, like offset clamp just means it's built straight and it's probably for small amounts of angle. And then helical, then it's gonna conform to the radius of the shaft, but it's really just that shape changes depending on what the angle is. So it's kind of just built for some, you know, nominal angle and how that would wrap the shaft. You know, it's built for some diameter and some angle, but yet it's adjustable. So you can do a different diameter shafts, different angles. So then some fit well and some don't. The squareness of the arrow matters. And especially on the knock end, you know, there's a lot of force pushing through that knock into the arrow. There's a lot of guys now that are like cutting arrow on both ends, but they're not doing a good job of squaring the arrow. I mean, the knock is really important. And then having a square arrow where the knock's pushing through is really important. What I, I've known would be the ultimate, and, and I used to, work with machinists that would do this for their own arrows is they'll basically chuck it up in a machine center and precision cut and square both ends of the arrow. There's a lot of arguments that, well, just doing a spine lining from just a spine tester isn't really what the way the arrow is going to bend as it shoots out of a bow because the dynamic spine and the way the forces are, probably doing the pushing on each end would be closer to what's happening there for sure. I wonder how much that's affected by the squareness of the arrows. Yeah, one thing through this study, it was pretty eye-opening how much the grip pressure affects the tune on the bow. We started with a bow that I had just perfectly tuned for myself and then put it on the, the hooter shooter. It was way off. But then we could also play around with the grip pressure on the hooter shooter and, and change it drastically as well. So, I mean, I knew that already, but it definitely reinforced that, you know, a lot of these guys that say, well, yeah, my post shop set it up and tuned it. You know, you really need to be the guy shooting it. And even if they say, yeah, they had me shoot it, but it was a year ago, man, you got to be able to check your tune because some bows got a tune every couple of months. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Halfa Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to talk to, well, I like to call him Iron Will Bill. <laughs> That's how I have you have my cell phone, Iron Will Bill. Bill owns Iron Will Broadheads, and uh, we're going to uh, talk about Arrow Flight and um, some of the testing that he's done recently and kind of uh, give you guys some pieces of information to help develop your own system of what you're going to shoot. What's going on, man? How you been? Hey, John. Good. Yeah, it's easier to say Aaron will build than Bill Vanderheide. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to butcher it anyway, but that's the way I have you in my phone. Iron will build. It's funny. 
But uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's, it'd be good to catch up. Yeah, yeah. You've been busy, man. I have been busy. Yeah, a lot, lot going on. The company keeps growing, and um, it's going to be a real job. And uh, also sponsors from university projects, and uh, trying to get out hunting as much as I can now. Uh, here coming up real soon. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you have you done any hunting thus far? I mean, anything I, uh, um, earlier season? Or? Yeah, I had a pretty good year so far. I um, I shot a turkey in Texas, nice. and that was that was kind of fun. Just calling it in, uh, sitting in some brush, open without a blind, and shooting one with a bow is always a challenge. But mm-hmm. it worked out. So I got a nice Tom doing that. We shot while I was down in Texas. We shot a bunch of pigs. Actually, we're testing our wide single bevel. At that time, that was uh, early April, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I um, went to Saskatchewan bear hunting and uh, and got a really nice bear um, in May. 473-pound black bear up there. Nice. Just yeah, it's been good. Awesome, man. Awesome, awesome. So let's kind of just jump into it, man. Uh, what did the testing consist of and what were you guys doing? I know you developed some... Some uh, yeah, so, veins um, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, really the the reason I wanted to do the testing was that a lot of the, really any of the scientific research or papers out there are primarily uh, that are on Aeroflight, and there's not a lot of them out there, but they're all really on all about target archery. And uh, aerodynamics changes quite a bit when you have a fixed blade broadhead on the front. So Absolutely. But, you know, I found, I think you found too, is that with the right arrow setup and bow setup, you can get fixed blade heads to fly really well at distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is more of a challenge. They're less forgiving. So what I wanted to do is sponsor more of a, you know, a university project where it's, it's not, not me or any of my biases coming into it either, <clears throat> but them just looking at different vein designs and, you know, we were using iron wall broadheads of course, but really just with the fixed blade broadhead and different arrow vein um, designs, how well did they, do these things that we looked at six factors really stability accuracy stability spin up wind drift sound and what am i forgetting there accuracy stability and drag and drag, and drag yeah. so i've been involved with the university for quite a few years i'm an adjunct instructor i'm mechanical engineering there i've been helping out with their senior design project class in mechanical engineering for quite a few years and so I, I really used that to um, be able to sponsor a project with the university and then also direct the project so that, um, yeah, I could kind of just spell out what, what we would do and test and it got pretty good. So we looked at, you know, several of the kind of top hunting veins, I would say today, as well as, um, um, some new, new prototype designs from the students. So they did a fluid dynamic model. So they, they did CAD models of all these veins mm-hmm. um, so that we could, you know, put them on an arrow shaft with a three degree helical and then do a fluid dynamic model with the, you know, the arrow going straight, but also when it was say tipped at five degrees as if it's um, the bow's a little out of tune, for instance. And then we could look at the restoring torque, like how quickly, how much torque was there mm-hmm. from the airflow, you know, when the airflow was over there, the arrowhead is wanting to drive it more off course, but the airflow over the the veins is wanting to pull it back. And so we looked at the different veins and how well they would, how much restoring torque they would have, how quickly they would reset it, correct it. 
And, um, yeah, so it, it, um, yeah, I could go on and on, but that's basically what it was. It was a bunch of analytical modeling, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, empirical testing with, uh, with shooting machine and, you know, high speed camera, lab radar, recording system, um, and then, you know, analyzing the, the sound for frequency content, amplitude, and looking at it from the time that bow went off to the time when it would be, you know, the arrow hitting the animal, basically, or passing over the microphones in this case. And a lot of interesting, uh, you know, data throughout the study. Yeah. Now, obviously, because you were using the iron wheel broadhead for the whole thing, did you use different styles of broadhead or just a or just one stuck with one style we just did field points and like our s125 broadhead for this mm-hmm. <clears throat> um there's some other kind of smaller studies i've done with you know s125 versus they are wide solid heads and they're less forgiving if your bow's out of tune you're going to hit you know further off i guess from center with a bigger head. Right. But on this one, primarily looked at just field points versus in their iron wheel field points, but yeah, just kind of a field point versus a broadhead. And, you know, for accuracy stability, what we looked at there is with a bow out of tune, um, and we'd kind of quantify how far out of tune it was, but what we look at is how close did field points and broadheads hit to each other mm-hmm. with the bow out of tune with these different veins, for instance. That was kind of our accuracy stability you know, measurement there. Right. Now, did you, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to why I'm asking these questions, but did you do any testing with, with different draw lengths or different length shafts or different spine shafts by chance? No, we didn't in this. We, um, this was one of my, you know, one of my bows I had set up. We just retuned it for the shooting machine mm-hmm. and, um, you know, properly pick up, an arrow that was kind of um, optimally spined mm-hmm. in the right length for the bow. But um, yeah, it was a 28 and a half inch long, 300 spine arrow for this. Gotcha. And the only reason why I'm asking this is because when I did my testing, not so much the drag testing, oh, even the, you know, I think even the drag testing, I'd have to go back and look. But when I did my testing, the results aren't so uh, lineal. And what I mean by that is if I shot the same combination, the same setup, same tune, whatever, and I did this, I was shooting uh, my cousin Anthony's bow, who he, out of the shooting machine, and and my bow. And I'm a 29-inch draw, and he's a 27-inch draw. And he's shooting a 340 spine at, you know, whatever length and I'm shooting a, you know, at the time we did this with 300 spine at my length. And so the benefits of having one vein over another, one helical over another, one broadhead over another, it wasn't so lineal that I could say, oh, this is the best combination and I could use it on, Anthony's bow and it's going to have the same performance like it wasn't necessarily the the best performing out of my bow wasn't necessarily the best performing out of his bow okay and was I, there a speed difference there too or yeah yeah absolutely you know because he's a shorter draw length 
So even if I had it cranked down to 70 pounds on both, there was a difference. And what I figured out, and most of it had to do with the spine um, or the perceived spine, not, not necessarily what, you know, your arrow says. So, you know, you could have a 300 spine arrow on one bow and then go to another bow and, you know, have a half an inch longer draw length. You, you know, it's like back in the day when we used to, yep. you know, start with the full shaft, you know, full shaft on a recurve and just start cutting until we got the right yep. flight kind of situation. I did find what I found was that you couldn't really be overspined on a compound bow. But if you were underspined, then there was definite performance differences. Yeah, I would agree with that too. That we've done, I did a little playing around with spine, and when they're, it was kind of borderline underspined. There's a lot more flexing in the arrow. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a bad thing, especially with fixed blade heads. Sure, you lose um, a lot of the, I think, the yeah. power stroke in the flex of the arrow right when it comes off. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it keeps it keeps going for a ways. Um, you see guys that are advocates of 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 high foc and look at some of their video some of the high speed videos they put out on youtube mm-hmm. you can see excessive arrow flexing all the way to the target and that's i just think that's a really bad idea you know with mine my hunting bow setup typically try to be optimally to a little bit over stiff fine size over stiff maybe and even just being a little bit on the high side of, of optimal i see like a half inch vertical bend or flex of the arrow when it's leaving the the bow mm-hmm. is pretty much straight, you know, six feet down the, down it's pretty much straight. I think that's ideal for a hunting arrow. When you got a broadhead, you're trying to drive through, you don't want that bending back and forth. Right. For sure. Yeah. I, I went down that whole high FOC. I even bought into it for a while. And then, then I came back to what I've always done and I didn't know that I was doing it in a way that was mathematically the best, but I always had this, idea of the happy medium not too heavy not too slow you know not too slow not too fast not too you know just find that middle middle ground and i've always done that like since i started archery like or since i started paying attention to what i put on my bow anyway and it turns out that performance wise that was probably the best decision for me i don't know did you did your journey point in that direction as well or you know i would say that over time it has for me too back when i had that broadhead failing elk shoulder blade in 2004 i, I read the ashby stuff went super heavy mm-hmm. <laughs> for a year or so had terrible trajectory decided it, it didn't it wasn't going to be good for out, out west big game hunting and then just started kind of exploring on my own of what i wanted to, to use but you know in this study it's pretty much the current arrow setup shot for tack all summer and i'm i'm gonna start hunting with here this is a 485 grain arrow it's a eastern axis um 300 spine 20 and a half inch long with 150 up front um mm-hmm. and that's a one, a 150 head or 150 total 150 total okay. up front um 125 grain head uh 10 grain titanium impact collar and a 15 grain titanium hit just our iron wheel reinforced hit system there and that's typically my setup. If I shoot my 70 pound bows, if I shoot my 75 pound bows, 
I'll need a 250, 260 spine, um, but then I'll often have 175 up front too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's in that 45 is shooting, um, it's around 280 feet per second, something like that. So that's what the study. And I, honestly, that's kind of the sweet spot for me. I think that for accuracy and performance, I've noticed that that 270 to 290 mark, I mean, that's 20 feet per second swing there, but then 280 falls right in between, obviously. That is like optimal for having a fast enough arrow that still has penetration, that still has correction performance, all that stuff. Like to me, everything that I tested, that was like the the sweet spot, that 280 mark right there. Yeah, I totally agree with that too. 280, 285, I think is great. If I'm up, and I, I like that 270 to 290, I would agree with too. If I get up, if I'm up over 290, I'll add a little bit of weight because mm-hmm. I think I think you're better off than making that trade off to um, have a little more mass and, and bring your speed down a little bit. I think overall, you're probably going to be better off than um, having something that's say 300 feet per second plus and, and really light. So. Yeah. So like that was my thing. I, um, I always have like when I tell people about building arrows, I'm like, you got to have a starting point point. There's, you could come into the system and in, in from any angle, and it's going to have an effect somewhere else. So you have to have a starting point. And that became my starting point is the speed. I'm like, what arrow can, how efficient can I build this arrow at 280 feet per second? How much, how much can it weigh? What's the spine? What's the, you know, within reason, obviously I'm not going to, you know, put a 340 spine on a 70 pound bow. I'm not doing that kind of stuff, but like, yeah, I used some of your past um, work and studies that, because uh, I think you did a great, great job looking at different veins um, years ago with the shooting machine, mm-hmm. and you, I believe, you looked at one degree, three degree, six degree helical, and um, you know showed that three degrees was was the best out of those, and so you know that's that study definitely influenced um, my pick of just using three degrees in this study. Um, we might. Do, do a little variation around that. Um, personally, I like that two and a half, three degrees for hunting. I've been using that for years, but um, yeah, I think the study you did there was, was great. Well, thank you. Um, a lot, a lot of work went into that. <laughs> a lot, a lot of stripping arrows and building arrows did that, went into that. Um, now we're talking about veins real quick. What, what uh, jig are you using to put the helical on? We're using a, a bits and burger typically. Yeah. Okay. For these experiments yeah because we can you know it's adjustable i wish it was like it was like marked like <clears throat> you know what you're at but we can uh adjust and then measure the, the final product but um yeah that's the jig we've been using got it got it yeah i uh i've been using the uh, vein master pro um that's a good one that's a good one too and um it's very repeatable um but the regular old Arizona Easy Fletch three degree helical actually works pretty damn good. And I tested veins on both of those. I think we even did it with the bits and burger to see if there was a difference between because even though the helical has the same 
three degrees, the offset was slightly different from each. And it like, I don't know. I don't know what I, I, it's above my, uh, my mathematical and, uh, engineering, <laughs> uh, vocabulary, but there was something different between the three and we did there. I, I did have measurable differences, you know, via lab radar on those, not to say one was, you know, not enough to say one was better than the other. I guess that I, sh- I could, I could say that one was better than the other, but consistency of the vein master was the best out of the three because there's more chance for user uh, error on the bits and the Arizona easy fletch, obviously, you know, it's just a clamp. All three of them go on at the same time for some reason. I don't know if it's a pressure thing or what, but there was some, inconsistencies more inconsistencies with that than i don't know it was just i I can't i'm going back like three years trying to remember what we did but i mean i think all three of them are good i mean i think you're fine with with any of those three i didn't try any other ones but if i remember right the fame master had the best performing out of the three so that's kind of why i landed on that one but it was so it was so minimal we're talking about you know, 1% type stuff. Yeah. To me, I, and I, I probably have five or six different companies jigs here that I play around with, but to me, the, it's not really a difference between offset and helical. If I think about the geometry, mm-hmm. if you offset a line, say running out of cylinder, if you offset that and wrap it around the cylinder, mm-hmm. you know, that's a helix. And to me, like, Offset clamp just means it's built straight and it's probably for small amounts of angle. Mm-hmm. And then helical, then it's going to conform to the radius of the shaft. But it's it's really just that shape changes depending on what the angle is. So it's kind of just built for some, you know, nominal angle and how that would wrap the shaft. You know, it's built for some diameter and some angle, but yet it's adjustable. So you can you can do and different diameter shafts, different angles. So then some fit well and some don't. So I think that's what you said about how you can kind of screw things up with that as well for that reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if you're not like a crazy, you know, mad scientist about these things, then I think it's really easy to, if you're flexing your own stuff to mess it up, you know, or relying on what the archery shop's doing for you too. I went a number of years. I never even looked at that stuff. I just went and bought the arrows, you know, and same spine and all that stuff, but same length. But I didn't pay attention to really anything. You know, I, yeah, I had plenty yeah. of success back then too, but, you know. Um, yeah, one of the things resulted from this study is I decided to offer arrows, either full-length flat shafts or custom-built. And that's part of the reason that I think that if people want to build them themselves and set up their jigs, get it to where the angle they want and just leave them there. And I think people can do a great job of clutching right. their own arrow, certainly. Yeah. But a lot of guys don't do it themselves or don't want to take the time and can get arrows they get from shops maybe different each time. I know around here I've asked for um well, this is years ago and, and that shop's no longer around, but asked for three degree helical. Mm-hmm. Fletching and they said, Oh yeah, we can do that. And then I got them back and they're actually straight fletched. And I just shot 
and the broadheads at the time I was using weren't flying very well. In that I figured it out, they're straight flush. And when I talked to them, they're like, yeah, we're not actually going to set up differently for you. It's <laughs> what we do for everybody. So, you know, I, I wanted to, um, through this study and some of the performance we were seeing, I just wanted to offer something to people. And so that van angle is one of the things, you know, we're, we're using a machine that has very accurate, you know, forks that are, you know, it's like a $20,000 tooling that's coming together that's holding the forks in place precisely, you know, to give you the same angle every time. And I'm not saying you can't do that if you just do it yourself and get your setup working well and keep doing it. But a lot of guys are just getting getting different angled veins every time they get get them from maybe the same shop or different shops or whatever. And there's just too many people that want to do straight or one degree. And I don't think that gives you enough rotation, you know, for a fixed plate head, you want to have some rotation to if there's any little asymmetries, if that's not pointing perfectly straight, you want that to rotate so you don't just strip further and further off one direction absolutely yeah no i agree 100 percent. well let's talk about do you want to talk about the process or can you talk about the process of build how you build your arrow you want to go from start to finish you know what goes uh, what goes into yeah. a, a bill a bill arrow <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so this arrow and, and really if you look at my company most of the stuff is like what do i want to bow hunt with what would be the ultimate for bow hunting for me, for me personally, in my opinions. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of what my customers end up getting. Hopefully I like it as well. But in this case, what I wanted was um, first to study a bunch of veins out there. And I didn't really plan to come out with our, our own. And what we ended up from the study, the best performing was this hybrid hunter vein, which I worked with AAE to use their max hunter profile, but make it in a few different materials that we could test so this is their hybrid material in the hunter profile. And so, um, you know, what I wanted was a vein that for number one would give the best accuracy with fixed blade heads, especially if you truck the bow a little bit, it's a little lot tuned, whatever, it would quickly correct it and keep it on track at the best accuracy. You know, we looked at accuracy, stability, wind drift, noise, and, you know, overall that performed the best. But anyway, have a vein that would do really well work really well with our broadheads and then have it machine fletched a three degree helical, just consistent, the same every time. And I actually worked with Easton to, to, um, you know, we had forks made. We, we, um, they actually uh, attach them, ship me the arrows fletched. And then the other thing I always wanted was, you know, there, the squareness of the arrow matters. And especially on the knock end, you know, there's a lot of force pushing through that knock into the arrow and, there's a lot of guys now that are like cutting arrow on both ends, but they're not doing a good job of squaring the arrow. And then you can have some, I mean, the knock is really important. And then having a square arrow where the knock's pushing through is really important. So what, what I I've known would be the ultimate. And, and I used to work with machinists that would do this for their own arrows is you know, basically chuck it up in a machine center and precision cut and square both ends of the arrow. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we're doing now. I have a machinist in a machining center, um, chucking up every arrow individually and um, cutting them and then using a facing tool and just squaring them just perfectly, you know, to, you know, better than a thousandth of an inch type perpendicularity wow. on the axis of the shaft to the end of the arrow. So is it really needed to be that good? Um, maybe not. Maybe people can't shoot the difference, but at some level it certainly is. So you'd have to look at, well, how well are you doing compared to this? And, and 
I think you can totally do a good job squaring your arrow yourself, but it's not a 10 second process. Like a lot of guys think it takes quite a bit on a good squaring tool mm-hmm. to um, clean up that whole surface and get it square. But anyway, that's kind of the process. And then we, um, you know, we install the, we epoxy and the hit inserts, um, you know, add the collar, you know, put a field point in there. But yeah. It's basically, there's people in, these are machines. Uh, they're run by people. So there's people involved. There's visual checks too. When we're rotating that arrow, we kind of look at the run out uh, near the end. I mean, these are, they're either match grade or they're um, standard axis. So it's straight to the thousands or three thousands. But we also want to make sure that that, all that, that run out or straightness deviation isn't all at the, at one end. So we kind of screen that out as well. Um, so there's a couple more checks like that, that are just kind of, uh, no things we know could, could, um, make them not fly as well. Right. But, um, are that's you basically the process doing any spine alignment or anything along those lines? We're not. And what I found if, if there's, um, and that's one of the reasons I chose the axis arrow, you know, with that, the pultrusion process they use, there's not really a seam on there. Right. There's not, um, there's fairly uniform spine stiffness throughout. And what I found is the arrows that have uh, a pretty uniform spine stiffness as you rotate it around. I haven't seen a need to index for that. I got a dozen arrows actually just yesterday. It was just a repeat build of the ones I've been shooting attack all summer, but there's a dozen arrows and I first, I just shot them at a hundred yards each and they all hit well with field points. Then I put a 10 inch square out there at hundred yards and put S125 and SB125 broadheads on them and shot them all because I leave for a caribou hunt Saturday. And, uh, I kind of, that's kind of my test for my hunting arrows. Does it go in my quiver is, does it hit well at a hundred yards with a fixed blade head on it? Hmm. You know, and they all dropped in that 10 inch square, um, you know, or somewhere on the edge of it. But that tells me that, yeah, I'm good enough. That's as well as I can hold the bow, you know? Right. Anyways. So, but yeah, I found it. If the, the spine um, is relatively consistent, that I haven't seen the need to, to spine align, or at least I'm not saying it wouldn't improve my shooting or groups, but they definitely shoot well enough, right? Um, the way they are. Yeah. So I don't know. One of the things that I've done now for the last four or five years, I think about five years, is first bend indexing. Also, I I check the spine too, and I kind of usually it kind of correlates. But it only correlates when you're using a 1,000th or better type shaft. If you're not, if you're using 3,000th type shaft, the bend indexing is actually more accurate than doing a spine check or spine aligning. Can you explain your indexing? Okay, yeah. So first bend indexing is basically you put your arrow and. I do this on a bow press and I've machined in two little holes on either side of my bow press that are with a laser perfectly perpendicular to each other. And I put in a glue in point, but I don't glue it in on either side of a, of a cut shaft. Okay. You have to cut it to your length, put the glue in points on either side and you put it in these two holes and then you, you put a bend you know, you start to compress the arrow and the arrow is going to bend in a direction and whatever re- direction that arrow bends in, that is typically on a super straight arrow, it's typically 
the spine's weakest side, or the shaft's weakest spine. And on a shaft that is not as perfectly straight, it's going to show you where the least straight is. I guess the least straightest run is. And now the it's it's it really it's like the same principle of knock tuning without having the tedious knock tune process. And the problem with knock tuning is the human factor, right? You you might get a result, but you might be putting a different pressure on the string. You might be doing something differently each and every time you shoot. And you don't know if your results that you're seeing downrange are because of you or because you need to turn the knock one way or another. So what knock tuning does is gets all those arrows, for those listening, all those arrows coming off your bow rest, coming off your bow in, you know, within reason, the same way every time. So what you're doing with the first bend indexing or even spine aligning is trying to get that arrow to leave your bow the same way. And that's that's what's important. It doesn't matter if you got it where the bend is up or the bend's coming out to the right, down, left, whatever. It doesn't matter. As long as that arrow is doing the same because then you just make your adjustment with your sight and then your groups. And when I found we were doing this, even with the Hooter Shooter, Hooter Shooter with broadheads, and this is why I bumped it out to 70 yards. At 50 yards, I was splitting knocks with broadheads. Hmm. And because those arrows, now those little inconsistencies were, you know, one left with a little bit more bend this way, one left with a little bit more bend this way, it changes where the impact point is. And it, it might be super slight, you know, something like. Now we didn't use access, so I don't know. I did this all with gold tip arrows, and those are that's a different process of the way they build it. So I'm I'm assuming with the um you know the pull through design, the resin design style. I don't know if it's the same or not, to be honest with you. Yeah, most arrows are they start with this flat prepreg sheet of of carbon fiber and then they cut a strip of it. So it's kind of a rectangular it and they rotate it on they rotate it around mandrel. And then it's usually spiraled as you go down too. But um, there's a lot of arguments that, well, just doing a spine spine lining from just a spine tester mm-hmm. isn't really what the way the arrow is going to bend as it shoots out of a bow because the dynamic spine and the for, way the forces are. Um, probably doing the pushing on each end would be closer to what's happening there for sure. I wonder how much that's affected by the squareness of the arrows. Have you ever looked at that? If it's well, if it's, I don't know. I never, I never. Well, at least I think my arrows are pretty damn square. So I don't know. I've never tried one with an unsquared arrow. Yeah, interesting. It's just getting them to bend another way rather than pushing directly yeah. in the middle. You're creating it's kind of buckle when you push on each end. And which way is it going to? Right. Which way does it buckle? And so you know, you it buckles one way. You mark it. You take off the pressure, right, and then you spin the arrow three times or, you know, not, not, you don't do it three times. Then you do, you spin the arrow uh, a third of the way and then you put pressure on it again. If it bends in a different direction, then something else is wrong, but it should bend right where you put the mark in three different planes. 
as long as we're digging away into the weeds on this stuff. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've always thought of and why I don't think spine indexing maybe matters as much as some people do is that when your arrow is shot and your, your rest is supporting it, you know, on the bottom, basically, and it, you know, often an angle on two sides, two sides of the bottom, but basically it's supported on the bottom as it's pushing off. So adding that constraint on the arrow now also drives that bend to be more vertical mm-hmm. than if, you know, like, um, if you're shooting a bow where it's just support on the side, the bend would be horizontal. So it's, uh, I'm going to do more work on the, you know, look at this for the high speed video and spinal, maybe we'll look at spinal line versus not. I think they still bend vertically. If, even if your spine, you know, your weakest bend point might yes. not be that direction, but now that you're, you're support, right, you're right. It does. So we looked at it with a high speed. It does bend upwards every time. But the difference is, and I, I don't know, you'd have to have some pretty sophisticated equipment to measure. Let's say you spine the line it and you made the stiff side up this time. And I always put my stiff side down so that the weak side is up. I always do weak side up so that when it bends, all the bend is going away from the rest. But each arrow bends a little different from the other, like meaning one might bend up a little bit higher than the other. And it's, you know, every once in a while, you'll come across an arrow and you'll see it. And it's like, oh, shit, this thing should almost be a 340. You know, and that's the arrow that doesn't go with that. That doesn't. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but it does. You know, and it's like, you know, we were, we were, you were talking about, we were talking about splitting hairs earlier. Honestly, I don't think this is a splitting hairs thing, but because I've noticed the group, and I know when on a shooting machine, you can really see it. Like I have video of them not spine the line and you know, it's a great group of 50 yards. They're all, you know, the fletchings all touching and it's, you know, all within a golf ball. And then you, we well, actually, we didn't spine the line. We bend the index them. And when we did that and shot them, that's when we were literally, I was, I was breaking knocks and nice. You know, that was what a fixed blade broadhead. That particular test, I wasn't doing it with yours, so I'm not going to mention who it was. But it wasn't. It, it, I, I didn't pick one or the or the other over. Just I just picked one. You know, arbitrarily. Yeah, well, that's great. I think uh, that's really what I'm after here too. Is I, I'm a pretty strong advocate of fixed blade broadheads for you know a lot of people, a lot of you know elk hunters, things like that. But you know, some people struggle to get them to fly well at, at long range, and so. I think all this uh, testing is is great to uh, tell people what works better, what mm-hmm. what can help them, you know, be more effective. Yeah, well, you know, and you don't even have to get that crazy in, you know, just obviously buy good equipment and you'll have better performance out of it. But I think, and I was going to get into this, was going to ask you this question. What goes into your tune? Like when you're actually now you got your arrow built, what, what are you get? What are you going to put into your tune? I think the tune is the biggest thing because ninety five percent of us, maybe even more, we just hand our bow to the bow tech behind the counter and be like, "Here, tune this." And then that guy goes and paper tunes it, and it might be perfectly tuned paper, but it's that guy who's shooting it. It's not you, right? And, and that's a big difference. Yeah. So there. Um, I think the tune thing is like the biggest, we're, we're the biggest uh, rabbit holes you can go down really. Cause 
you know, when it comes to like equipment and all that stuff, you, you could be chasing your tail a lot and that kind of stuff. You, you know, you change one thing, it moves another. I mean, the same thing goes with the tune too, in a way, but, um, yeah, one thing through the study, it was pretty, pretty eye opening how much the grip pressure affects the tune mm-hmm. on the bow. We started with a bow that I had just perfectly tuned for myself and then put it on the, the hooter shooter and it was, it was way off. But then we could also play around with the grip pressure on the hooter shooter and, and change it drastically as well. So, I mean, I knew that already, but it definitely reinforced that, um, it, uh, you know, a lot of these guys that say, well, yeah, my bow shop set it up and tuned it, you know, you really need to be the guy shooting it. Um, and even if they say, yeah, they had me shoot it, but it was a year ago, man, you got to be able to check your tune because some bows got a tune every couple of months I've seen. Some of them are great and they'll hold the tune and won't change for a year, but there's string stretch and there's, um, you know, limb creep and things like that that can just change over time. Um, yeah, if you want to know roughly what my process is, is, uh, you know, I set the, the center shot to, you know, nominal on the bow, um, you know, in and out. Um, and it varies a little bit by bow, but it's, uh, yeah, I just set it to nominal. I'll, um, set the arrow to go through the burger button hole, basically through there and perpendicular to the string. And, um, I'll check cam timing, mm-hmm. make sure that's, uh, the same and adjust, you know, twist the cables if needed to get that to match the same. And, um, yeah, shoot for a little while. If it's a new bow, just kind of break it in. I might get some shoots shots in, just kind of break it in or get things to kind of settle. Maybe now shoot through paper. And if I'm getting, you know, up or down tears, I'm adjusting the the rest and or knock position to get that to go away. And if I'm getting right to left tears, um, I'm generally trying to not move the rest at this point. I'm uh, shifting cams. You know, I've, I've had Hoyts and um, Matthews over the last five, six years, and they're both using the same kind of system now, which is top hats or shims kind of thing to move the cams. But I'll shift cam positions till I get rid of the right left tear and basically getting a bolt hole through paper and that's um at like 12 feet and that's kind of my base level mm-hmm. tune and i actually like to shoot a flat shaft and then a, a bear shaft through paper i just can see a little more detail to it but my bear shaft has the same weight at the back so if my arrows are all flexed up i'll just cut the veins off of one right i'll leave the foot maybe to add, keep some of that weight but cut the veins off and then add a little tape on it to get the weight to be say within five grains total arrow weight is my flat shaft. Um, but you can shoot that through paper too. And I can see a little finer, you know, up, down, right, left tear from that. So anyway, that's kind of my first level is the paper tune. And then my next step is to get, go and shoot that bear shaft versus flat shaft. And I'll start at probably 30 and you need to have decent form to, for this to be worthwhile. So, I, I shoot a bear shaft versus flesh shaft with field points at say 30 yards and do it a few times to make sure that you're getting consistent results. But right. Um, it doesn't take much then, to throw a bear shaft off. No. Um, then I like to go to 42 to kind of amplify it more, but mm-hmm. pretty yeah. easy to miss target at 40. If you don't have, if you're torquing it at all, um, with the bear shaft. But, um, yeah. So what I'll see is if, if I see, say, um, the, flesh shaft is in the is in the bullseye but the bear shaft is hitting hitting right in the 
impact point and the back of the arrow is tail left, you know, what, what will happen with a fletch, a bear shaft, however it comes out of the bow, it kind of stays that way. Mm-hmm. So if it's coming out tail left, it's going to, you know, stay tail left. It might be, might be getting straight out a little bit, but the airflow over it is going to make it hit right. And often you can just, if you're shooting at a flat foam, uniform foam target, you can see it. Mm-hmm. The flesh shaft is, is sticking straight out of the target and your bear shaft is maybe it's hitting five inches right and it's, it's tail left, you know, so it's pretty easy to see what's happening with your arrows that comes out of your bow. And, you know, so a tuned bow just means your arrow's coming straight when it comes out of there, which is really what you want to do anyways but certainly with a fixed blade head it it matters even more so um yeah yeah with uh if it's hitting if it's hitting right you move your rest um you know a little bit right but it's a very small amount if you got micro a micro rest where you can just do a, yeah. you know, a few clicks a few clicks at a time check it make sure it's getting better as you're moving it that way but um yeah and if you get it up or down say you know it's uh it's hitting high but it's tail low you know, then you can, um, you know, move your rest down or your knock point up. Um, but it's, these are small adjustments. So I try to leave the rest very close to nominal position, but just make fine adjustments around there to get the, uh, the arrow flying straight. And then, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll shoot, you know, for me, it's all about hunting. It's all about, can I get fixed blade broadheads to fly well mm-hmm. at whatever range I want to shoot, you know? So then I'm shooting some broadheads versus, um, field points at distance and seeing how, how well they hit together and how well they group. Have you tried or ever do any broadhead tuning? Like do you shoot field point and a fletched broadhead and then try to move the rest so that the impact points are the same? Um, I, I always do bear shafted like you too. I've always done that, but the, the uh, broadhead will do pretty much the same thing. So, I mean, I do, I will shoot a broadhead too versus the fletch shaft and just see if I'm seeing the same thing. But usually that bear shaft amplifies it. It's easier to tell. Right. And, and so for instance, um, I shot a bow all summer that I knew was a little bit out of tune because I, I wanted it to be for, uh, for experimenting, but I was hitting four to five inches right with the bear shaft, which is the fletch shaft at 40 yards. So it still looked okay through paper. You know, if I shot a, 12 feet through paper with with veins on it pretty much looked like a bullet hole Mm -hmm. but i knew it was just a little bit off and with that with the bow like that i could shoot iron wool broadheads like our s125 recipe 125 at 100 yards versus field points and i had the same point of impact with our hybrid hunter vein so if you have a vein that quickly stabilizes that arrow brings it back on track you can be a little out of tune right and still shoot well and i'm not saying they had exact point of impact but to my shooting ability, they were kind of in the same groups, basically. But that's kind of how I quantified for the uh, university testing, too. That's how I had them quantify how far, when we'd put the, the hooter shooter, you know, out of tune, basically, or bow out of tune. That's how we had them quantified. I had them shoot a bear shaft or flesh shaft at 40 yards and record that distance. And the last test I did there was a foot difference at 40. So, you know, significantly. Wow. Uh, out but even with that hybrid hunter veins um performed overall but a lot of the taller veins did really well and that the broadheads versus the field points were hitting within an inch or so mm-hmm. at 40 with a bow pretty far out of tune but you take a shorter vein like 0.38 0.4 inches high and now you can see you can be off by 
six to eight inches mm. at that distance. So that's when the van really, really has to do a lot of work there. Um, or it was really needed to bring that broadhead back on track quickly. Gotcha. Now, as far as drag is concerned with the veins that you, you guys developed, did you compare it to a, um, this is for my own personal gain here. <laughs> did you compare it to like a blazer? Um, yeah, we did. Blazer was in the study. Yeah. And what, what was, and I don't know how you did your, your, um, cause I didn't see the, the actual, I saw, you know, videos and stuff like that, but I didn't see your, your results, your test results, like how, it, how they fared. And like, for instance, when I did the lab radar stuff, I just okay, my field point shot 285 feet per second out of the bow. And then at 80 yards was hitting, was still traveling at 257 feet per second. And then oh, I'll just use your broadhead. But this, so this wasn't the veins. I'm looking at the wrong stuff here. Um, but anyway, left the bow the same, the same feet per second, you know, within one, one feet per second. And it impacted at like 247 with that, with the broadhead. So it slowed it down 10 feet per second. Did you do stuff like that? Like where you can see like, oh, okay, it was this many feet per second with this vein and this many feet per second, this vein at terminal velocity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. We used lab radar. So we had the, the data, the speed from the time it left the bow to where it hit the target. And that's really what we used. Um, and then as we looked at those curves, you can then, you know, we did an analysis. You can crunch and come up with a drag coefficient based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. All right. So well, very much like the way I did it then. But oh. We had both the drag coefficient number and then also just what was that delta what was that speed drop um so we got both those and i can tell you the the blazers perform well they do well as far as um amount of drag um i can tell you in a practical sense that i could shoot blazers at 100 yards and our hybrid hunter at 100 yards and hit the same you know shooting the same groups mm-hmm. so it's not appreciably different there um where the hybrid hunter shine kind of overall was the accuracy stability um just had more restoring torque than others um Mm -hmm. and the hybrid or the max hunter did well too and then when we compared hybrid to max we just saw it was just a little bit quieter a little bit less drag when we looked at the the drop over speed and um what was drag wind drift and sound i guess were the three things where it had just a little bit uh improvement well that's what we're looking for, for. a little bit better on every on the three <laughs> the three things that we were you know you're testing that's great yeah and um and i'm i'm excited we're about to kick off the uh next year's project where we're gonna dig more into um and we've did some of this already last year with different new prototype designs and how they could also you know further improve um, wind drift, drag, sound, and, you know, not give anything up on stability, maybe even increase stability accuracy. But, there, you know, if you look at all the veins out there, there's there's quite a bit of different features and designs out there. And um, we uh, did some work trying to understand what those features do, um, good or bad. And then we, we learned a few things that, um, you know, we haven't, kind of made public yet but i'm looking forward to digging into those deeper in this next this next year nice nice that's awesome man i mean i haven't geeked out on this stuff in a while because i kind of 
I kept finding myself going down, searching for perfect too much. And then there's always like a point of diminishing returns. And um, yeah, so the last couple of years, I just kind of laid back. But it's been, I guess it's probably always driven by something happening during hunting or whatever that makes me go, you know, look at it. Hell, actually, what what made me go look into all to doing all this testing was I had a full year of like wounding animals. <laughs> I was like, "What the freak is going on?" I think you told me that. Yeah, yeah you put some time into that. Yeah, so that yeah. that made me go down the rabbit hole for sure. It, it, and the reality of it is, it's probably because it was just me. But you know, we gotta look, <laughs> we gotta look for something to blame, um, right? so it makes it makes your, your yeah there's a lot of that you know whatever your last whatever your last failure was out there in bow hunting is typically what you you focus on and try and and try and uh improve you know the next year for sure exactly exactly well cool man i i want to i'm gonna i'm gonna i want to try out the hybrid veins and, and the only reason why i went to the blazers and I even said this in my video because they did not, on paper, did not have the best performance. I think, if I remember right, it was the it was the hybrids or the uh, AAE Max Hunters or something along those lines where it was, and it was considerably better, actually. But what made me go back to the Blazer was the thing that science never can take into to play. It was confidence. You know, I'm like, I'm going to move, I'm going to move 20 some odd years of confidence. And I know I've killed many things with this blazer vein to make a change for whatever percentage I was trying to achieve better. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stick with the confidence thing because I feel confident about it. But I never talk people out of using blazers. I think they, they perform well and I use them for years as well. Now, the one thing I don't know if you did this, and this is this is a test that I would like to see done. And so my my experience is solely on, um, I guess, my, just on my experiences. Really, my 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 opinion, I should say, is based on my experience. Is that I haven't found a vein that performed better in windy conditions for me again i don't know because i i started trying to you know i was waiting for monsoon days here and i would go and i would take my other fletched arrows and i'd go try to shoot and it's such a non you know scientific way of doing it uh there's no real control because i don't know what days were windier than others i don't know you know that kind of situation but that's the other reason why i went back to to the blazer so i'm very like my gut says i want to you know hey let's try this let's try bill's vein because it performs better and on paper you know in controlled environments it's freaking kicking ass but then that's in the back of my mind and i don't not to put you on not to put you on blast i'm trying to ask just trying to figure out like you know yeah if uh, because now you've had some experience of shooting them out in the field 
you know, what kind of, uh, do you have any, yeah. anything to add to that or, or, you know? Yeah. So wind drift is really, um, it, it's really it depends on the inline drag. You know, I think that my thinking was wrong on this at one point I was thinking, well, I just separate the components of, of wind, you know, straight into it versus across it. And, you know, be the, the area as you kind of view it from the side, it's going to, it's going to hit. And, and I think that's, you know, in the initial wind gust or whatever, that, that is kind of what gives it the initial kick or push. But what happens in reality, like in, if it's a steady state, a constant wind, constant crosswind, mm-hmm. the arrow realigns now to that, that um, combined vector of airflow, basically from the speed of the arrow, if it's 280 feet per second. And then if you've got, you know, a crosswind of 10 miles an hour or whatever it is, the effectively from what the arrow sees that, that airflow is coming in now at an angle. It's not coming straight from the target, but it's coming at an angle, say to the right, if the mm-hmm. wind's coming from. And what happens is pretty quickly that arrow, well, at least if it's a stable arrow with, you know, a vein, enough vein on the back for the rod in the front, it's just mm-hmm. going to realign to that um, angle. And then what's going to cause it to drift left, say you get, get wind drift left, is just that an inline drag now has a force component that's that's pushing it left a little bit over time in whatever time it takes to get to the target so really by minimizing inline drag we can reduce um wind drift it should just be proportional to inline drag so um you know in this testing we're we're seeing that so what i what i'd say is that you know inline drag of the hybrid hunter and the blazer i don't don't, so, so the hybrid hunter was chosen overall as we did kind of a whole model of looking at stability, accuracy, number one, then drag wind drift, um, was kind of next important. And then, you know, sound spin up, mm-hmm. um, we factored all that in hybrid one, but I don't remember off the top yeah, of my blazers head. Blazers a lot of shit. They're yeah. Su- I don't remember off the top they're of my super head loud. <laughs> what the, uh, what the difference in inline drag was between the two, but I want to say hybrid. I want to say they're pretty close because, um, you know, the drop at distance for me and my experience has been very close. So from that, I would say the wind drift should be very, very similar. I'm going to be do, doing more testing on that. So, you know, catch me in a few months or something. I'll type okay. anything, but that's what I would say is that, you know, it comes on inland dra- inline drag. And if you're getting the same, you know, drop at distance, um, it should have a similar uh, wind drift, really. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm curious about that. Again, like I said, mine's. It really just goes back to that confidence thing. Like I'm like, I know I go to South Dakota every year, and I, well, not every year that I shot shoot a deer, but almost every year I shoot a deer, and it's always like 20, 20 mile an hour, thirty mile an hour winds, and a, you know, and I've get very you know, very what I found too is that wind drift differences are often very small like <clears throat> um i shot micros for a couple of years and and i just recently did some modeling of micros versus um like a, a 166 versus a 204 mm-hmm. um and like in the modeling i believe it was a six percent or seven percent difference in um inline drag and wind drift okay so you know six percent difference that means if you if you drifted 10 inches with one arrow, you drift, you know, 9.4 with the other. Mm. So is that there, it's a pretty small difference. It wouldn't necessarily drive me to use micros. Um, if a guy just wants the best possible 
minimizing wind drift. Um, yeah, in theory, it should be better. Mm. But, um, you know, there's trade-offs with everything. So you got to kind of weigh that. Yeah. Right yeah. in. Gotcha. Well, cool, man. Um, well, I think uh, I hit on all the things I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I don't right. know. We, we went off, we went in down some rabbit holes, but um, yeah, I just, I find it really interesting. And, uh, you know, you and I talk every once in a while about, about this stuff on the phone, but this is, uh, you know, the getting better every, every year is always, you know, interesting to me. So I, yeah, there's, what I, I see is there, at least I haven't found it, any other like scientific studies going on out there or there have been done with, with fixed plate broadheads on the front. You know, the aerodynamics is just quite a bit different. And, um, and man, I love to shoot, bro- <laughs> I love to shoot our broadheads on our arrows. So I want to, uh, I want to get better at it and I want to help make our, you know, help other people get better at it too. Just improve bow hunting. And so, yeah, I enjoy geeking out on this stuff and doing that kind of work. Well, keep keep doing it because uh, you got the means and uh, and and the brain for it too because you're an engineer <laughs> engineer. But uh, you know, it's it's good for everybody to kind of like get this information and process it and figure out, you know, hey, is it worth for me to switch from this to that? And you know, like I said, yep, it's what you've done, and I I played you know, devil's advocate on some some of the stuff that we're talking about. But, um, I, what you've done has intrigued me to think about, you know, looking into a different main again. So. Yeah. Um, give them a try. Let me know what you, what you think. And, um, you know, several months from now, I might have some new prototypes for you to try too. Sounds great, man. You know me, always, always willing to check it out. (laughs) Great. And I wanted to throw out there too, for people that, you know, are struggling with their arrow setup or don't know what they want to do. Um, our, our, um, customer service tech support is great. Um, Bailey, she's, uh, been a long time, you know, she worked in a bow shop for several years and uh, was professional, um, professionally with compound and does a lot of trad hunting as well. And, uh, she can very quickly, just help somebody with their arrow set up to be properly spined, um, help them with what arrow would, would shoot, um, fixed plate broadheads as well. If anybody's struggling with that. So I'm going to throw that out there too. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and, uh, I wish you the best this season. I'm sure I'll talk to you, but, uh, yeah, thanks. I got, I got a caribou hunt coming up in Alaska followed by, uh, two elk hunts. So I'm, I'm pumped to get out in the woods here real soon, but let's catch up later and, recap on the absolutely man good luck in uh after the caribou like that's definitely on my bucket list i think uh where actually one buddy of mine and i were kind of talking about setting it up for next year so yeah cool happy to give you the info this will be my third time up there and i just love it awesome fantastic all right buddy well we'll talk to you soon hey sean take care hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.